0: Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If this happens to be your first time joining us, we want to get to know you better. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card so we can do just that. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Well, in 2009, a few roommates from the University of Texas A&M got together and they started doing crazy trick shots in their backyard. And they put it on this new up-and-coming website called YouTube, and little did they know that literally overnight, it would be on like six or seven different newscasts and sports center. And these guys literally went from students at Texas A&M to internet moguls. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. But I am talking about the legends that are known as Dude Perfect. Now, if you have any elementary-aged kids, you know who Dude Perfect is. Like, these guys are literally legends in my house. When they post a video, we get around and watch it. I actually really, really, really love what these guys do. They're all believers in Jesus. Everything they do is clean. And they have one of the biggest reaches all over YouTube. I mean, they have 56 million subscribers. Their videos have been viewed almost 13 billion with a B times. If you haven't checked out Dude Perfect, this is for free tonight. Go check out Dude Perfect. But this week... They released a brand new video. It got me thinking as we jump into the message today. This week, Do Perfect launched a brand new video called Bucket List South Africa. And they flew to the country of South Africa, and they had all these items on their bucket list. If you don't know what a bucket list is, uh, it got really famous in a movie a few years ago, or I guess several years ago now. But a bucket list is a list of really cool experiences and things you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? Before you go on into heaven, you are going to go and do these things. And so these guys went to South Africa, and, I'm, and these guys have an, like an, just moguls. I mean, they are, they live like the best life ever. I'm like, man, I want to be like them when I grow up, right? These guys are awesome. They went to South Africa, did all these crazy cool experiences, and it is an amazing video, but it got me thinking of my bucket list. I don't know if you have a bucket list, I don't actually have a physical one, but I can start naming some things that I would like to do before I die. The problem is some of those things are now so far in the past it is impossible for me to do these bucket list items. Say, what do you mean? Well, there are just some physical capabilities and some age disabilities that I have now that make it not possible for me to do what I once wanted to do. For instance... All throughout my high school life, I was in a punk rock band. And I wanted to go on tour with my punk rock band. It was on my bucket list. Well, guess what is not possible for me to do now in my life is be a punk rock rock star around the world and tour. Another bucket list item I had that I've actually shared here before is I was convinced, like, don't tell me otherwise, that I was going to play football for the Dallas Cowboys. Like, It was happening. I am no longer able to play football for the Dallas. I decided to become a pastor instead and serve you all, okay? Um, That was on my bucket list. But now the things that I wanted to do, I literally cannot do anymore. There are some things that you probably would have liked to do in your life that now, like it or not, are not possibilities for you to do. We have been studying as a church family for several months now, verse by verse, through the New Testament book of James. Amazing book. If you haven't been along the journey with us, I encourage you to go online. There are several weeks of messages for you to listen to. But we've been tracking verse by verse through this New Testament book. And we are coming today to the very last verse of chapter 4. And then we have one chapter left and we have completed the book of James. It's been an amazing study so far. But what James is going to talk about today is James is going to do just what I was just talking about. He's going to talk about things that we should be doing, but we're not doing. James chapter 4, verse 17. If you have a Bible, you can open it. It's going to be on the screen as well. One verse. We've been sometimes tracking through dozens of verses, 10, 15 verses at a time. Tonight, today, we are only looking at one verse of Scripture. And here it is. So... Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I love how clear that verse is. Here's what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to unpack all these Greek words, right? Like we don't have to have a seminary degree to understand what we are reading on the screen here today. We get it. I love how practical and clear, and so the point of today is to hopefully be very practical and clear and to look at these 18 or 19 words and say, what does that mean for my life today? James is so practical. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. It's an interesting word, sin. Sin is a word that we see all over the New Testament. We may or all over the Bible for that matter. We may not like that word in 2021, but it's a word that we can't get away from when we read God's redemptive story in the Bible. From the Garden of Eden to today, we deal with sin. Sin is what separates us from God. You know this if you're a follower of Jesus, but we are all born into sin. It's what's wrong with the world. As we try to unpack the big theological concepts for our kids. My wife and I have four little kids all in elementary school. And, and we've tried to unpack uh, these big theological uh, things for them. one of the things we tell them is sin is, what, is everything that's wrong with the world. If it's wrong in the world, it's a result of sin. What do you mean? Everything. That's why sickness exists and heartbreak exists and COVID exists and pain and war and, and politics. I thought about this this week. There will be no sin in heaven, praise God. That means there will be no politics in heaven. Praise God, right? But seriously, if you think about it, politics exists because you think you're right and I think I'm right and we fight about it. That wouldn't exist without sin. I was watching those games this week and I thought about this. Sin is why terrible, no good, awful, despicable hockey teams like the Minnesota Wild exist. Sin. It's another sermon. But here's the deal. Most of us would define sin this way. Again, I want this to be as practical as possible today. If you're here in the room or you're online, how would we define sin? Most people would define sin this way. Doing what is wrong. Don't do what is wrong because that is sin. Well, what James just did for us is he just said, yes, sure, all throughout James, we see about things we shouldn't do that are sinful, that are wrong. But James also just introduced a new concept to us to say, you can also sin by not doing what is right. Say, so what do you mean? I want to jump into these, this verse. By looking at the reality that all sin can be boiled into down into two categories. You could, like take every sin there is and put it into one of two boxes. Here's the first box. The sin of commission. What does that mean? Doing what is wrong. Commission, that's a, that's a big word. Commission is I've committed sin. I have done something. So sins of commission, doing what is wrong. And we, we know this. If I were to take a microphone right now and walk around your neighborhood, I won't do this because they won't like you much as a neighbor. But if I knocked on every door in your neighborhood and said, hey, I'm so-and-so's, one of so-and-so's pastors, and I just would like to ask you what sin is. Most people would say doing wrong things, right? Like don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't murder. We understand. Like this is where we put most of our, when we think of sin, we put it in the box of doing what is wrong. We see this in our families. My son, Blaine, he's my youngest son. He's seven years old. He's like my little mini-me. Literally, you look at pictures of me at that age, and it's like twins. It's crazy. He is this guy, and maybe parents, you have a kid like this. When Blaine does something wrong, he cannot hide it to save his life. Like, I'll look at Blaine, and I'll say, Blaine, did you hit your sister? And he looks at me, and he's like, and he tries so hard to muster up some sort of lie. And it's like, don't even answer the question, bro. I know. I got you. He did something wrong, he sinned, and I know it. It's doing what is wrong. But there's another category that is what James is talking about in these verses today. There's the sins of commission, and then there's the sins of omission. Put that definition on the screen. There it is sins of omission, not doing what is right. Omission, that's a word that means to omit, to not do something. So James here is not talking about the sin of commission. Hey, don't do wrong things. James here is introducing us to something called the sin of omission, not doing what is right. That's what he says in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. To answer or to to look at this this verse of scripture, I want to ask and answer three questions very simply. And again, we have prayed as a teaching team. This verse is so practical. We don't want to muddy it down with a bunch of sermonic language that makes it very hard to apply. We want this to be as practical as possible for you. Because here's the reality. We have been praying all week. I have been praying all week for myself and for our church family that God would put a spotlight on whatever area of your life and my life that maybe is not walking in accordance with this verse. And he would just put in his grace and mercy a spotlight on that and say, hey, this is what I'm calling you to. Walk in it. So that's the goal. I've been praying. I've been been praying that the Holy Spirit would hound us down and give us that. He calls us to an abundant life. Jesus said, I will give you life and life to the full, life abundantly. So what is it right now that I'm missing out on in my abundant life in Christ because I'm not walking in that thing that I should be doing that I'm not? That's the prayer today. And I want to ask and answer three questions to kind of get there. Here's the first question. How do we know the right thing to do? James says, whoever knows what is right. Well, let's pause right there. How do we know what is right? James starts off by explaining. He's assuming something. You're looking at this verse and he's assuming that there's a right and there's a wrong. So why are you saying that? That's important in this culture that we live in. Unfortunately, right now, we kind of live in this ambiguous, vague, subjective culture that wants to act like there's not a such thing as right and there's not a such thing as wrong. Especially for me, I love to dive into culture and to see what's going on. And a lot of my millennial, my, a lot of my millennial brothers and sisters and, and what my kids are is Gen Z. We kind of live in this world where like what's right for you is right for you. James doesn't say in this verse, so whoever knows the right thing to do, if he feels like it's right at the moment at that time. Whoever knows the right thing. This is not a politically correct Soft, non confrontational approach. James says, Hey, here's the deal there's right, and if you don't do that, you're walking in sin. And I know that's harsh, I know that's a little heavy, but here's what we need as Christians not in a confrontational way, not in a mean spirited way, but by the grace and mercy of Jesus, more Jesus followers need to stand in the midst of this subjectivity and this relativism that we live in today and say, By the power of the gospel, I believe that there is truth. It's not subjective. Now listen, you got to do that in a way, I'm not talking about your political leanings, I'm not talking about your personal convictions, I'm talking about the truth of God's word in a loving way, hey, like Jesus did. A lot of times we say we're standing up for truth and we're doing it very different than what Jesus did. I'm talking about grace and truth and love, but not sacrificing what's right. James here takes that for granted. He says this isn't based on how you feel what's right? If you know what to do which is right. So how do you know what the right thing to do? A couple helpful ways that I hope will be uh, informative for you and helpful for you today. Here's the first one. God speaks to us through his word as we spend time with him. Again, nothing today on purpose is going to be like these mind-blowing theological wows. How do you know what's right? You take the Bible day in and day out, cup of coffee nice comfy chair, and you say, God, teach me, speak to me through his word. It's a relationship. If you come to hope for any length of time, we're not going to lead you into religious exercises. We're going to lead you into a relationship with Jesus because that's how he's designed you to walk. That's how he's designed you to live. And so daily you go before the Lord and say, God, I want to know what is right so I can walk in it. Teach me what is right. One of the ways he does that is through his written word. We see how to live this abundant life. He gives us commands, not because he's a a dictator, but because he's a loving father. Here's the best way to live this abundant life. So we see things in God's word. He speaks to us. And here's the deal. If it's in God's word, this is is just like free Christianity 101. If it's in God's word, you don't need to pray about it. say, what do you mean? I'm going to put a big old list on the screen here. That's a lot of stuff. Worship. You do not need to pray on whether or not you should worship God or not. I'm not going to go to Pastor Vance and say, Pastor Vance, um, I've just been really praying if you'd lift me up. I'm just praying whether or not I should worship God or not. No, the Bible says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Come, let us gather together and worship. This is a command in scripture that we don't have to pray about. I'm not going to go through all of them. Spending time with God, having community in your life, being these are not things that we have to go. God, I just pray. Would you show me whether or not I should have people in my life that are sharpening me toward you, God? God, would you pray? Uh, God, would you would you show me whether or not I should honor my marriage or not? Right. We we don't have to pray about the things that God has clearly shown us. So here's what James is saying. I want to make this practical. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. It's like, oh, those are the 10 things I have to do. Listen, as you read God's word, he reveals to you what it is that he has written down for you in your life, and that abundant life that you're living. And here's what James is saying. If you know what it is to do that's right and you don't do it, it's sin. Let's not try to excuse it. Let's not try to go, well, my situation. Listen, if you know the right thing to do, and you failed to do it, it's sin. So God speaks to us through his word. Here's the second one. God speaks to us through his spirit as we walk in him, walk with him. This is a really, really powerful uh, truth for Jesus followers that like, we don't need to take for granted. Did you know that as a Jesus follower, when God saved you, he placed his Holy Spirit inside of you? That's an amazing truth. What do you mean? What does that mean? The Holy Spirit of God. By the way, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not this weird mystical thing that gives you good vibes. The Holy Spirit is God. So what does that mean? Let's do the math. God put the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God. You have God inside of you right now as a follower of Jesus. That's pretty cool. What does that mean? That means everywhere you go, you take God with you. A lot of people say, man, it would just be so much easier to live this life if, like, Jesus was just, I I envy the disciples. Jesus was just right next to them. Listen, God inside of you is better than God beside you. Oh, if we only had Jesus next to us. Listen, you got God inside of you. What does that mean? I'm going to get in God's word daily saying, God, show me what's right. Show me how to lead my family. Show me how 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 to lead in your church. Show me how to be a better friend, pastor, brother. And then guess what? I close my Bible. I get ready for work. I kiss my wife and my kids goodbye. I get in my truck and I bring God with me. You bring God with you. So what does that mean? All day I'm like, God, show me. It's what the Bible says when it says pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you just walk around going like this, bumping into things all over the place. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm praying without ceasing. It's a constant conversation, a constant fellowship, a constant relationship that you and I have with God. Because he's... Teaching you, even in those moments, you get those promptings. You ever done that? You're at a stoplight and something prompts you to do something, to act, to, 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 to engage, to stand up and say something. Whatever it might be, you get a prompting from the Holy Spirit of God. James is saying, if you know that's the right thing. We've all had those moments as Jesus followers. Sometimes I've done it and sometimes I've failed. If you know it's right and you don't do it. It's sin. And here's a very, very, very important principle. God will never speak to me in contradiction to his word. That's very important, church. Talk to people. I've probably said this myself in times past. I know what the Bible says, but listen, you better stop right there because you're off. God will never speak in contradiction to his word. I can't say, I know what the Bible says, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit's really saying this to me right now. Listen, the Holy Spirit has already spoken. He will never, he is not a God of confusion, the Bible says. He will never speak to you in a way that contradicts his word. But he will speak to you. And he will show you those promptings. You may not be able to chapter verse it, but you know what's right. As a follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're walking in ways and you know I'm supposed to do this right now. I'm supposed to. It, it's what Pastor Vance, you're not presuming on God. It's what he taught on last week. You are walking in what God says. You're in the middle of his will and you know this is my next move. This is the door I'm supposed to walk through. And here's what the Bible says. James says, in chapter 4, verse 17, if you don't do that, that's sin. God speaks through his word. God speaks through his spirit. That's how we know the right thing to do. Here's the second question today. If we know the right thing to do... Why do we not do what we know is right? No show of hands today. Sometimes we just don't do what we know we're supposed to do. Right? Let's, let's put aside spiritual stuff for a second. In life we know this. Like, like, again, no hands, but how many people are like, no, I know I should do this more, but like, I just don't. <laughs> right? I, I know I should eat more vegetables, but let's be honest, Cheetos taste better. Right? I know I should save more money, but, like, those shoes or those, that dress or that thing. Like, I know I should, but, like, look at the sale. I know I should read more books, but Netflix is way easier. I know I should get more sleep. Whatever it is, these are good things you know you should do more of, but you just don't. So why do we not do what we know is right when it comes to what God It's clearly said to us to try to be as helpful and practical as possible. We came up with four reasons that I just want to hang some meat on before we move on tonight. Here's the first one. We don't do what is right because we think we have more time. That's what James just said. Again, remember, this is a letter. We have to chop it up in in, in bits and pieces because we're we're not going to preach through the whole book of James in one sitting. Remember what James just said last week when Pastor Vance taught. It's on the screen, verse 13 and 14. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Here's the part. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Listen, church. The reality is some of us put off doing the good and godly and abundant living things you know you're supposed to do, whether that's written in his word or impressed upon your heart by the Holy Spirit of God. You know what you're supposed to do, but you go, yeah, 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 but it's just not convenient for me right now. I'll do it later. I've done this before. You've done this before. You say, I can do it later, but here's what James just said. Literally a verse before this, two verses before this, your life is a mist. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. There are things that happened this week. When you heard Pastor Vance unpack that passage last week, you had no idea that was coming next week for you, this week for you. That's what this verse is talking about. Our lives are a mist. I saw a quote this week that I thought resonated. Maybe it's just my season of life. Here's the quote. The days are long, but the years are short. I know I can like, I'm like, yes and amen times a thousand on that. Raising four little kids and my wife, and sometimes those days are long. You're like, God, help us. But then you turn around and, like, the little babies that you once had are no longer little babies. This weekend, our Next Gen team is celebrating what we call Jump Sunday. All of you who have kids in Next Gen know this. It's when the kids all jump up to the next age group or the next grade. And my wife, last week on Sunday, we were going to bed, and she told me, she said, hey, we checked out our last preschool kid ever in that building this weekend. And it was like, what? No more preschool kids. All my kids are now in the elementary building except my son Bryce, who's 12, almost 12, and he's in junior high school. I'm telling you right now, I had to have like a little moment with the Lord this week because I cannot believe I have a junior high student who's going to camp without me. I'm like, I feel like I'm in junior high still a little bit. What is this? This is life is a mist. Like I can't say I'll I'll obey God later. Man, later, like, was, it, it goes by so fast, and next thing you know, I just continue to put it off and put it off, and then guess what? I never obey God. Some of us think, I'll just do it. I talk to students all the time. I'll, man, when I get through college and, and I get a little more established in life, then I'll get serious about my faith. Or, man, when I get settled down and get married and kind of get more serious and more of an adult, I'll start adulting, and I'll get, I'll get, you know, I'll get more serious about my, the things of God. Well, the problem is the carrot always moves more and more and more. There's always another promotion. There's always another thing. There's always another experience. There's always another season. If it was just a little better, then we could get the family into, into church more. Then we could. There's always something else that will stop you from obeying the things that God has called you to. We think we have more time. This hit me this week. My I want to's will eventually give way to the I wish I would have's. The things that I want to do will eventually be things that I go, man, I wish I would have done that if I don't realize life is a mist. Here's the second reason, and maybe sometimes we don't listen and and, and follow in what we know is right. We don't see the immediate benefit of it. We're living in a very on-demand generation, and I'm fine with that. Like, I love Netflix. I love the fact that you don't even have to buy a video game anymore. You just purchase it, and it downloads in a few hours, and you're good. I love the fact that we are living in an on-demand society. I love the fact that technology is what it is. But we have to be careful to not let that seep into the way we view our relationship with God. Because we expect God to be like Netflix. And like, come on, man. I prayed about it yesterday, haven't even done anything about it. So, man, I I, I tried this whole obedience thing. It it didn't really work. We think obedience equals instant outcome. Yeah, I tried that. It didn't work, Scott. Scott. I tried this whole listen to God's spirit, and it didn't work, and I gave it like two weeks. The journey of Jesus has never been about pace. It's always been about the process. Obedience to God may not produce immediate fruit, but the process will change you. What do you mean? A verse that has been kind of a life banner verse for me is Psalm chapter 37 Verses 3 and 4. I read this when I was like young 20s. I was just in a season of life where I'm like, God, what are you doing with my life? And I read this verse and it has been a game changer for me. Here's what Psalm 37 says. Trust in the Lord. Listen, you're not going to see any fast-paced things in this verse. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell. There's a word right there that's not about instant gratification. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes your obedience needs to be a little Psalm 37 like, where you're not seeing an immediate outcome. You're not seeing, God, I'm obeying you in this thing, and I thought the doors were going to fling right open and all your blessings were going to pour out into me. God might be saying, Hey, trust in me. Continue to do what I've called you to. Dwell in this land. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in me, and I'm working. I love that song. Every time we sing it here at Hope, I start getting all teary-eyed, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. This is our God. We don't get to obey God one time and he becomes our genie, right? Some of us think that. I don't want to say that. I think that sometimes. We think God becomes our genie. Obeying God doesn't make him our genie. Obeying God gives a testimony that we really trust him. We don't see the immediate results of something. Keep pressing on. Keep trusting the Lord. Here's another reason. And this one just come out and says it. We aren't willing to do it. I've done this before. You ever done this before? Like, God, I know you're leading me into this. I just don't want to do that. Like, God, that's just not going to work for me right now. I asked the Lord this week... As you're preaching on verses like this, you know, you have to know your pastors, we always are trying to go, man, there ain't nobody wearing a cape up here. Like, how are we in this, God? How can we not just be a preacher of this, but a a fellow church member of this and let the word of God rest on our own hearts? So I said, guys, a dangerous prayer. God, I'm teaching on what you should do and you fail to do it and it's sinful. Show me some ways I know that's been in my life. Immediately I thought of one. I was like, really? That one? Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to share a little transparent moment with my church. Now some of you think, no way. Like, like some of you, and we want to just destroy this idea, right? Some of you think pastors are just like walking on this fairy dust of Jesus. And they're just anointing all over their lives. And they're just like this special type of superhero. We're not. I remember getting discipled when I first... Started following Jesus, and the guy who was discipling me was a pastor. And, and I just was like, Man, do you just get to read the Bible all day? You must be so holy. And now I'm a pastor, and I'm like, Oof, no. <laughs> Listen, just like you, I get frustrated when I don't get my way. Just like you, maybe I yell at my kids sometimes too harshly. Just like you, I hate being cut off on the freeway. I don't get cut off, and pastors don't go, God bless you, brother. You probably got to go somewhere. No, listen, my kids always laugh at me and my wife laughs at me because what I do is I speed up next to them and I just give them a big thumbs up. Like I can't give them the other one, so I just give them a thumbs up, you know what I mean? That will make you more mad than the other one. <laughs> Somebody who just cut off just gives you a big thumbs up and a smile and you're like, ooh. I wake up in the morning just like you and I don't really want to talk to anybody. Listen, <laughs> like, I don't even know if I'm like really a Christian yet until I get a cup of coffee in me, right? Like... Why do I say all that? Well, for years I've struggled with something in my relationship with my wife. And and I honestly knew what the right thing to do was. But I, like, just didn't do it. And here's what it is. Having a consistent, robust, awesome prayer life with my wife. Sorry right now if you're like, really? I'm never listening to him again. Right? Like, I've talked to a lot of men. I'm not talking about praying before meals and a quick prayer before bed. I'm talking about like I lead my family spiritually and I think by God's grace, it works out pretty well and my kids all know Jesus and it's great. But like I'm talking about those moments where me and my wife just get after the Lord together. Like for whatever reason, over 13 years, that just hasn't been as awesome and as robust and as like as romantic as I thought it would be before we were married. I thought, man, we're just gonna pray together all the time. Then you start having some kids and it's like, uh, let's just touch base for like 10 minutes before we go to bed, right? One time, I remember I was in a season where I'd try a couple things. And one time I was like, I'm going to pray. We'll pray every night before we go to sleep. So lights are out. I'm holding her hand. I'm like, let's pray. And I just start getting after the Lord. Like, I'm like, God, reign in our family. Amen." And I say in Jesus' name, amen. And I don't hear nothing. And I hear. I'm like, what? <laughs> this woman fell asleep on me as I was praying. <laughs> Why do I say all that? I say all that because God put that in my heart today to share with you. Listen. I was just unwilling to do something I knew he called me to. And I don't want you to hear this next part. It's like, oh, Scott's the hero of the story. Listen, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. But a few months ago, our friends, we were just hanging out with them. We were just talking about marriage and life. And they shared with us how they've been praying together. And they pray together and they talk about their family and their business. And, and they do it as they're just walking around the neighborhood. And I'm like, well, I can walk. I can walk around my neighborhood. So my wife and I started trying it, and, and now we have for the most, it's only been like a month, okay, right? But, like, we have the most consistent prayer life we've ever had together. And listen, that's not me being a hero. That's me going, God, show me how I can pray more with my wife because I don't want to know what to do and be unwilling to do it because you've called that sin. Here's the last reason, and this just kind of sums it all up. We think we know better than God. We never say that. No, I've never met anybody that said, here's the deal. I don't do what God says because I just know better than him. But if God is leading you towards something and you know it, whether through his word or in your heart, you know it. And you're saying, eh, I'm good. Here's what that's saying. God, I know you're the creator and the sustainer. Like, the fact that I'm even talking to you right now is a miracle. The fact that I even have breath in my lungs and I have movement in my body is because of your grace and mercy. But thanks, but no thanks, because I'm going to do my own thing. It's an arrogant posture that you and I, if we're not careful, we can walk in. What we're really saying is, I know you know how life works best because you're the creator of it, but I'm good. What do we need to do? We need to surrender to God and say, I don't know what's best for my life. I don't know what the best way to live this abundant life, so I surrender to you. It may be hard, but I surrender to you. I'll close with this. There's a story in Jesus' life of this guy, you may have heard of him, called the rich young ruler. Why is he called that? He was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. (laughs) Creative mark chapter 10 you know the story maybe if you're followers of jesus or you've read the bible at all this guy comes to jesus he says good teacher show me how to inherit eternal life jesus said you know the commandments don't murder don't steal don't cheat don't lie he's going yep 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 yeah i've done all that from from when i was a little kid i stayed away from all the bad things this is a paraphrase by the way you can go mark chapter 10 to read it for yourself Yeah, Jesus, I've done all. I'm not doing any sins of commission. I got it all. I've licked it. I'm done. I'm good at that. And Jesus, I love the verse that says he looked at him and he loved him. See, what we're talking about tonight is not because Jesus is mad at you, not because he's angry at you or wants to be a dictator over your life, just like the rich young ruler. He's leading you into that abundant life because he loves you. He said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all you have give to the poor, because your treasure's in heaven. And this guy, the Bible doesn't say, he said, wow, that's going to be hard. Here you go. What does the Bible says he does? Steps back, turns around. The Bible says he walks away sad because he had great wealth. What is this guy doing? God is revealing to him, like we've asked God to do in this place today and online, God is putting a spotlight on an area of this guy's life. Are riches wrong? The fact that this guy had a bunch of stuff, is that wrong? Absolutely not. But God in that moment, for whatever reason in his sovereignty, said, I want you to give it all away. Your treasure's in heaven. I want you to give it all away. He put a spotlight on what it is that he wanted this man to do. And he walked away sad. Here's what I prayed for our church, that none of us would see that clear, right thing to do. And walk away sad today. Because it's just too much. I know the right thing, but man, no way. Maybe it's as big as that. Maybe it's a small little step of obedience. But you know, because of the word of God or because of the spirit of God in you, this is what I am to do. He didn't trust God. The invitation for us today is to trust God. See, that's pretty simple. That's the invitation today. How should we respond? That's the last question. That's the answer. How should you respond? Know what it is that God has put on your heart. Maybe from the moment I said that, there's just been a thing on your heart. And you're like, can this sermon get over because I want to stop thinking about this thing. Maybe that's the spotlight we've been praying for. Walk joyfully in what you know he's called you to do. So what is it right now? The band's going to come up. We're going to worship. What is it right now? What step of obedience has he put on your heart, whether maybe in the word today or another time in your life or in your heart even right now when it comes to your marriage or your singleness or your family or your church? What is it that the Holy Spirit, God himself, has put on your heart? Here's the the response. God, I'm going to do it. And right now, it could be very easy to start filling in the blanks and for me to say a bunch of stuff. I don't want to do that. I've intentionally said, God, I want to ask people to respond by saying, "Whatever it is, trust God." So, in just a moment, we're gonna sing. Just like always, this altar's open. Some pastors are gonna be up here. I'm gonna be down here. Maybe for you, the step of obedience is, man, I want to come and I want to just confess to something. I want to. I want to tell somebody what it is that, that God's got a hold of me on right now. I just wanna tell somebody I wanna be prayed for and I know what it is. Maybe for you, it's a, a personal thing. You wanna come down to this altar and you just wanna pray and you just wanna lay it on this altar and say, God, I've been running from you. I don't wanna be the rich young ruler. I don't wanna hear clearly that you've told me that the sin of omission in my life and I don't wanna walk away sad today. Good deeds undone, steps of obedience untaken promptings of the Holy Spirit unresponded to, whatever it is. If you're a Jesus follower today, respond to what God is saying is the right thing to do. Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.